Yo neighbors, welcome back to the show and this is episode 58. I wasn't sure what I was going to do for this week's episode. I had some ideas and a checklist of things I was going to talk about in current events. But then I found something like pretty special for you guys. So lately, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, there's some weird shit going on and uh, there's all these like um, pandemic simulations in multiple countries. The awesome who, not the cool band, but the big bunch of total losers that seem to try and ruin our lives all the time. And right before they started doing this, they were uh, making agreements with countries to uh, hand over all our rights in case of a pandemic. And then uh, now we're doing simulations. So that's fun. And at the same time, mass wildfires happening across Eastern Canada. And uh, they just finished cooking us out over here on the West. There has been smoke for a couple weeks, which is great. But they all flared up at once in really suspicious circumstances. And it's been just as dry since. And there's been no fires since in my area. And there was like a massive amount started at the same time. Not that long ago. Till we couldn't even fucking breathe. And they were giving us air quality warnings to say when we could go outside and stuff. So that was cool. And, uh... Now this is happening in Eastern Canada, Quebec's on fire, and people have footage of helicopters spraying fire out the fucking bottom of them all over the trees. Like flamethrower choppers running around, starting shit. We all knew it was the feds anyway, but uh, I kind of thought it was like men on the ground posing as normal people accidentally starting fires. No, no. They have no reason to act inconspicuous because they don't not give a fuck what we know or care about or try and say. They have this extreme deniability all the time. And then all the gullible people are like, why would they do that? There's fucking videos of it. I don't know why they would do it, but it seems pretty fucked up that they are. Doesn't mean they're not just because you can't figure out why they are. And, uh... So that's nice and like just a month ago it was like a train derailment every five minutes a meatpacking plant burning down oh Ireland's gonna fucking get rid of 36% of their cattle or something like that in the next couple years because <laughs> the farts are causing climate change you guys so here we go like don't get on the train to the 15 minute city obviously learn to grow your own food and uh, find a clean water source because who knows what's going to happen next and sometimes I'm just like do they just want to keep us in the state of always thinking who knows what's going to happen next we need to survive is that part of it I mean I don't want to make anyone too fearful but uh, it seems to be getting worse (laughs) so what better time then now, to introduce my audience to the great and late William Cooper, who was gunned down in his own driveway 
by police serving him fucking flimsy warrant for no reason because he was talking about the dark side of upper management of humanity. (laughs) But you know, he is really good at symbolism and really articulate and I found his Babylon series. Babylon mystery series on the internet and it's in the public domain. So I thought, let's listen to some of this started listening today and I was like holy fuck I'm gonna probably have to do like a 25 part series on this guy (laughs) branch off from the Mally P. Hall and uh, the usual people I have it's always dead guys for some reason (laughs) Um, but I think you guys are really gonna like this William Cooper and I think this kind of stuff really needs to um, have a platform and be shared before it's scrubbed from the internet. So, yeah. It starts off with an intro to the series. And he talks about 2001 Space Odyssey and the symbolism in it and what it's trying to talk about or tell us, or maybe not us, but the symbolism that is maybe not made for us but that we can figure out if we have the clues and then it goes into the first part the intro to the mysteries so the first part is called or the introduction is called the dawn of man and then the second clip is called intro to the mysteries so it's just the beginning of the mystery Babylon series that he did on his radio show and it's like accumulation of all his um, research that he did into the kind of secret societies and secret doctrine and mystery schools and what's really going on and kind of like decipher some of the symbolism and break through some of the lies that we've been told and you know I think I don't know <laughs> I've, I have like a nihilistic outlook today just after this past week of more garbage but uh, there's always There's always a silver lining in the clouds and there's always good guys too. Like, I'm not sure. I think he was a real nihilist and I think he just thought like there was no good guys, no cowboys left, no good entities, no good anything. But um, as you know, I think that the universe holds a balance. So there's always an equal opposing force to the darkness. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to William Cooper, and I hope you guys enjoy this, and let me know what you think. We'll probably do more of these, because there's some real wisdom in this. And in the meantime, after this airs, I'm going to listen to the audiobook, Behold a Pale Horse, which is a very famous book that he wrote. Um... But I I don't know much about it because I haven't read it yet. So 
it's only like a three hour audiobook, so I think I can get through it in a couple days and I'll let you go let you guys know maybe on the next episode or my next William Cooper episode a little bit about that book. And then I'll link where you can find a PDF as well as the audiobook for yourselves. So if you're interested. But for now Let's start this series, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. See you next week. Love you guys.
I first saw the movie 2001, I was amazed, awed to say the least. The entire scope of the movie was overpowering, and for most of the people of the world, was completely baffling. Most people who saw that movie did not understand from beginning to end what it was that they had experienced, but they knew, everyone who saw it, knew that they had experienced something profound. That something had been communicated to the dark, deep recesses of their mind, which they did not understand. And indeed, which they were incapable of understanding. For you see, the movie was not meant for the profane, as most of us are called, by the adepts or the initiates or the priests of the mystery schools. For that movie was a message to those initiates who were well versed in the symbology and the mystery religion of an ancient religion that is practiced to this day in secret. Now I'm going to tell you the meaning of the symbology that you saw in the movie 2001 and then each and every listener should go to their local video rental store and watch the movie again from beginning to end. For it is the story of the entire human race according to the history of the mystery religion of ancient Babylon. Now I can assure you that you will not understand any of what you are going to hear without ample preparation and without a basic understanding in the symbology of the ancient religion. And you're going to get that, and this is going to be a series of programs that will in fact take probably many hours to complete. But let me just go over the symbology of the movie 2001 quickly with you, and then we will go back to the very beginning, to the first primitive human, probably sitting on his haunches, munching upon some vegetable, watching the sunrise in the east. In the beginning of the movie 2001, most people who sat in the theater were struck by the imagery which was presented to them, as they saw first a dark and gray and ugly world. And as that world began to move down from the center of the screen, they saw behind it a moon. And as the moon began to come down with the world that was sinking to the lower part of the screen, behind it 
you saw the emergence of the sun what you were witnessing was an eclipse of the sun partial eclipse and as the light from the sun spilled across the edge of the moon it took the shape of the boat of Isis and the sun of course for anyone who has studied the Osirian cycle became Osiris and the symbology was Osiris riding across the heavens upon the boat of Isis now this will all have much deeper meaning to you as we progress toward your education in the ancient mystery schools which are today known by many different names and we will get to some of those names as we go along this signified of course the creation of the universe and of the world and what we saw next was a barren plain nothing growing barren rocks barren desert and then we saw the sun begin to rise in the east over the horizon signifying the birth of the world as the sun traveled across the heavens you saw the wind begin to move across the face of the earth signifying that something was happening then as the sun began to reach its zenith on a prime longitude we began to see shrubs small green plants began to emerge now the sun traveling across the heavens did not of course signify a day it signified an age an age dear listeners as the sun sank deeper into the afternoon we saw the emergence of animal life birds we could hear the birds singing and we could see the animals and then we could see primitive primitive man in the form of an ape mingling amongst the animals neither harming the other living in a state of innocence and you saw a man only eating plants and roots and you saw that even when the animals in man were in competition for food no one was injured or hurt but there was a display of waving of arms and yelling and grunting until one or the other moved away the significance of this was the age of innocence when man lived in the garden of Eden innocent with the animals it was a vegetarian and as the sun progressed farther toward the west we saw man begin to retreat into the womb for you see the passage of the sun across the sky from the time that it rose in the east 
signifying the birth of the world. We saw that as it reached its zenith, its most powerful aspect in the heavens, life began to emerge first in the form of plants and then animal life. And that the animals and early man lived in harmony together in a state of innocence. This was the symbology of the movie. During this process, you saw a rock formation in the shape of the male organ, the penis. This was the symbol of the mystery schools of the generative force of creation. When you watch the movie again, pay attention to the symbology of the movie. Now as the sun begins to sink even farther in the west, man and his little tribe goes to the water hole and confronts another group of primitive man, all in the form of the ape. And there's a confrontation. But you notice that no one was injured or killed. There was a lot of waving of arms, jumping up and down, grunting and screaming and screeching, until the group that was at the watering hole and had already quenched their thirst moved away. And then the new group moved in. And then they scurried into the womb, signified by the cave. And there was more symbology there, as they all sat in the darkness with their eyes open in fear. And one of the female apes held a child to her breast. And you were seeing men in the transformation from ape to human. Primitive man evolving to the point where he could think. And then what happened in the movie, toward the dawn, you heard the humming of bees, millions of bees. And the beehive and bees were a prominent symbol in the mystery schools. It signifies societal cohesion industry now not industry as you may know it in the manufacture of cars but industry in working together in a societal form in this case the very basic rudiments of society and as the sun again began to rise up in the east signifying the dawn of the new man The audience beheld an obelisk, a monolith. In front of the cave are the womb from which the apes emerged, and it appeared that the humming of the bees was emanating from this block of stone. Now notice I said three words, monolith, obelisk, and stone. All of these are significant symbols in the ancient mystery religions.
and you saw that this was not God because creation had already taken place the world had been created plants and animals had been created and primitive man existed on the earth before this monolith this obelisk this stone ever made its appearance it is also known as the stone that you saw earlier the generative force or the penis now don't get all confused by this terminology it will begin to make sense to you as we go along it took me many years of study to understand what I am now imparting to you you watched as the apes milled about in great excitement and one encouraged by another signifying Adam and Eve the one encouraging was the symbol of Eve the one being encouraged was Adam until he actually reached out and touched the face of the stone and he was imparted intellect you could tell that something significant had happened because the tone and the general volume of the music changed at that point and then the other apes began to touch and rub the statue now most people that I knew attributed what happened to some extraterrestrial force and they were receiving the exoteric interpretation or that which is meant for the profane those who are not illumined and cannot understand what it is they are seeing but for the initiated what they witnessed was the creation of the world by God and the impartation of knowledge to man the forbidden knowledge by Lucifer through his agent Satan for in the religion of the mystery schools they believe that man was held prisoner in the garden of Eden by an unjust and vindictive God and that man was not told by this unjust and vindictive God that he could have the same powers and man was set free from the bonds of ignorance by Lucifer through his agent Satan and many believe that the two are the same and that's okay because maybe they are and that through the gift of intellect man himself will become God now for those of you who understand what I am imparting to you now you may not even have to listen any farther for it explains everything that has ever happened in the history of man and everything that is happening now and all that is to happen in the future as it progressed 
you saw the first primitive man form the first original thought with the use of the gift of intellect when he squatted in the dust and picked up a bone and flopped the bone over and saw it hit a rib and the rib flew up into the air and he looked at it and he flopped it over to the other side and hit another piece of rib bone and it flew up into the air and you could see the wheels turning in the mind of this primitive individual as he lifted the thigh bone and then struck down in front of him and watched bones fly and then he struck again and again and then he crushed the skull of the dead animal that was lying in front of him and you notice that the portrayal of this was absolutely accurate because the next thing that happened was that this new gift, this intellect and this original thought led to the murder of another primitive human being in this case of the tribe that had not been given the gift of intellect did not have the ability to use a bone as a weapon because they had not made the connection and you watched in the symbology of that movie the murder of Abel by his brother Cain and you watched as he threw the bone up into the air and the progression of the use of the gift of intellect led you to a space station spinning around the earth and then the story began of man's journey toward illumination and everything in that movie was a symbol for something else now the audience sitting who are what the adepts or the initiates call profane did not understand what they saw they thought that it was really about a journey into space by an astronaut or a group of astronauts and the bad things that happened to some of them and one survived and none of them understood the significance of the obelisks the monoliths one on the moon one in orbit around Jupiter and the ultimate transformation of the astronaut into a giant fetus floating in space and to tell you the truth when I first saw the movie I didn't really understand it either but I knew that there was something of such import there that I needed to know that I never stopped studying until I found out and of course one discovery leads to another and every time I answered a question a hundred more popped up until I reached a point dear listeners 
where I realized that if I studied for the entire rest of my life there is not enough time in my life to learn what it is that I need to know but I have learned enough along the way to impart some of my knowledge to you and maybe you can help me find the ultimate truth that all of us all of us ultimately learn to look for although not all of us ever realize that we are looking and most of us never even understand what it is that we are looking for but some of us do understand that we are looking the adepts of the initiates the priesthood of the mystery school believe that they have found it and that they know all of these things and I'm not really sure that they do because in my search and my ultimate illumination <laughs> and yes I have become to a degree illumined or illuminated I have discovered that I am more illuminated than most of those who have gone through the process of initiation in the mystery schools and believe that they know more than I do and it's not true I have surpassed them by so far and they believe that they are so far ahead that it has become difficult for me to place myself in any kind of logical progression along a path that I am following and I know not where it will ultimately lead but I know that many have been misled along this path and are worshiping the fallen angel that we know as Lucifer many believe that Lucifer and Satan are the same many people believe that they are totally different entities and that Satan is evil and Lucifer is not but Lucifer rebelled against God according to the Bible and was expelled from heaven and flung to the earth to be the master of the material world the master of the earth now if Lucifer is indeed Satan how this transformation took place I am not wise enough to know if they are different then I have not yet discovered where Satan came from if Lucifer is not Satan now there are people who have professed to know the answers to these questions and have sat down and we have talked for hours and I still am not sure that they are right or that they are wrong and I'm still looking for the answer to that question but I do know this ancient man witnessed something that he described in his oral history and in his writings and it could probably be called the first UFO sighting in the history of the world how art thou fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of the morning star 
Now notice Lucifer was called the son of the morning star. He was also called the morning star. And there is a great mystery here. Because Christ also called himself the morning star. Now how all that fits together. I do not know, but I have been told by those who have been initiated in the mystery schools that Christ and Lucifer are one and the same being. However, I cannot bring myself to believe that. What you believe, of course, is your own business and is not my intention to make you believe anything but rather to impart to you what I have learned over many, many years of study into the secrets of those who worship the ancient mystery religions in secret for thousands of years. For you see, that monkey who sat there squatting on his haunches in the desert striking the earth and the pile of bones with this great thigh bone was the first priest of the mystery schools and it was this first priest who then began to initiate others into the secrets and they are the ones who have been responsible, according to my research, for most of the scientific developments and the forward movement as far as material progress goes of the human race. For they were the learners. They were the ones who developed science. They were the ones who hid their developments and used their science and their knowledge and their secrets to govern others. Usually not as kings, but as advisors and as priests and in all actuality the powers behind the thrones in ancient times and even today they have ruled from the shadows you see and they call themselves the guardians of the secrets of the ages and their first their first religion was called astrotheology or the worship of the heavens and their first object of worship was the sun. The second object of worship was the moon. And everywhere you see the mystery schools or the mystery religion, you will see the symbols of the sun and the moon, also known as Osiris and Isis. And the child Horus, which I will explain the meaning of later. Right now, folks, we must take a break. Don't go away. I'll be right back after this very short pause.
Man's newfound intellect set him upon a quest that according to those who say that they know has never ended even unto this day. And the modern day equivalent of this ancient mystery religion calls itself the order of the quest. And you will see it reflected in many of their outward exoteric branches where they disseminate information to the public or manipulate the public or deceive the public as the profane to them are nothing more than cattle to be herded and occasionally to be led to the slaughter. In the movie 2001, the quest led them ultimately into space and to the moon, where they were further imparted knowledge by Lucifer, again, in the form of the obelisk, the monolith, the stone, the penis, and you will understand what that means later when we get into the Osirian cycle or the legend of Isis, Osiris, and the child Horus. When they were imparted knowledge again on the moon, it set them off on a further quest to the planet Jupiter, where they found a huge, tremendous, again, another obelisk, monolith stone the generative force the penis floating in space orbiting the planet Jupiter now the journey from the moon to Jupiter is significant for the astronauts on board this spaceship represented the entirety of the human race And it represented that some will evolve and those who cannot will not be allowed into the future. You see, this was a message from those who rule to all of the initiates of the world. It was a message that the new age is now dawning. And you see that at one point during this journey from the moon to Jupiter, man represented on a microcosm by the astronauts making this voyage came in conflict with their own technology. The technology of the human race was represented by the computer called HAL. And for those who were intelligent enough to experiment with the name HAL and progressed the letters one forward in the alphabet from what they were in the movie H became I A became B and L became M and they were able to see that the symbol was of the largest at that time when the movie was made and the corporation that was on the cutting edge of computer technology 
IBM. It was significant that man had built this technology, this computer, which had an artificial intelligence and was capable of communicating with the astronauts. And yet they had forgotten to put a switch in the machine which could be turned off at will. Now, you have to understand that this is all symbology. Hal represented many things. He represented the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb, chemical warfare, bacteriological warfare, represented the state of the art of technology where it became so complicated that no one man could be an expert in it and thus might unknowingly participate in the building of a technology which could destroy him, yet he only worked on a part or a portion of it, the knowledge of which did not indicate to him that the end product could be a danger. And we see that happening now, don't we? Where everybody has to specialize in one small portion of technology because the overall picture is so complicated and so far beyond our understanding that we see the prediction made in the movie 2001 actually becoming true before our very eyes. Just in my lifetime, I've seen automobiles that I could take apart and put together blindfolded myself as a teenager to driving automobiles that I can lift the hood and not even recognize most of what I'm looking at except that I know that it's an engine in there and I know that it's got a fuel delivery system and some kind of a system that ignites the fuel but the technology has surpassed my ability to take it apart and put it back together again without many months or years of specialized training and this has occurred across the board in our technology and as I've told you before, I will tell you again tonight, dear listeners, in secret, whatever you perceive as the state of technology in the public eye, the very cutting edge, in secret they are a minimum of 50 to 100 years ahead to the point where science fiction is no longer fiction and hasn't been for quite some time but is in all actuality science fact you saw this battle play itself out on board the spaceship where ultimately there was only one astronaut left fighting the battle against Hal and he was able to make this jump in his evolutionary consciousness and he was able to fool Hal and turn off the computer but when he did so he knew that he had relegated himself to permanent separation from his fellow human beings back on earth and folks the message was not that he went into space to affect this separation 
space was just the vehicle through which it was conveyed in the movie. The message was that the new man will go into the future and the rest of us will perish. We will not be allowed into the future. If we are, it will be as slave labor until we are no longer useful and then we will simply be exterminated. The message to the vast army of initiates in the mystery school was we are on the threshold of the new age and into this new age will march only one one man it is the new man it is the illumined man it is the man that is able to make the evolutionary jump to no more war to no more rape no more pillage to the level in the mystery school known as six six it is the number of a man it is the illumined man to the mystery schools to those of us who are Christians it is the symbol the mark of the beast the indication that the antichrist has arrived and the beginning of the time predicted in the book of Revelation known as the Tribulation. Now all of this that I thought I knew so well and understood has become even more mysterious to me now as I know that I am battling against something that is almost incomprehensible and I have had to do it alone by myself not trusting anyone else not letting them in for fear that they would corrupt my mind and I would be led down the wrong path and I still do not know the answers but I have an awful lot of clues and a lot of facts and I've learned an awful lot and maybe I am more confused than I ever was in my entire life but after you hear the results of what I've learned and after I am for the first time since I've learned all of this communicate it to other human beings let you know how really confused I am maybe all of us being confused together can put the pieces in their places and patch this mystery together and come up with what we need as answers to formulate a future that we can all all enjoy without fear without wars without lies and deception and manipulation without elitists and terrorists and crooks and liars 
for I'm going to impart to you during all of this that the priests of the ancient mystery religion are the ones who have caused most of the misery in the history of man. And if they had not learned this knowledge, the secrets of the ages that they keep from the rest of us and use to manipulate us, maybe, maybe we would have reached peace in this world hundreds of years ago. I don't really know the answer to that. But I don't think much of what has happened in the history of the world that was miserable, terrible, would have happened without these people. But I may be wrong. And as always, when you listen to this show, don't believe a word you hear unless you could substantiate it in your own research. At the end of the movie, what you saw as the astronaut became older and aged, and this was the symbol of gaining knowledge and wisdom. And he looked at himself, and he saw himself younger, and he looked back and saw himself older, and he looked back and he was older still, and he looked back and he was young again and then old. And then you saw this unbelievably overpowering, stunning vision of a fetus, a human fetus, floating in the great vastness of the universe, signifying the birth of the new age and the new man that will go into the future. Now in the sequel to 2001, you saw that this astronaut who had made the jump came back and talked to some select few, signifying that he had then become a teacher to the rest of us. And when he was asked what happened to him, he said, and I quote, Something wonderful unquote now that was supposed to tell the rest of the initiates in the world who really understood the symbology of the movie that if they were able to make this transition the future would be a utopia now I don't know whether it will be or not. But I can tell you this. The priests of the ancient mystery religions are in charge right now, and we had better damn well find out, and we had better do it very quickly. For the new age is the age of Aquarius, and the exact date of the dawning of the age of Aquarius can be determined astrologically and I'm not going to tell you what that date is although I have it right here on a piece of paper in front of me 
I want you all to help in this search. God knows I need help. I can't save us all alone. And there's always the possibility. Because I am human, that I could make the wrong decision or make the wrong interpretation. And that's why I formed Kaji, because many of us working together and digging and searching for information are much more likely not to make the mistakes than one man working alone. Let's go back now to the beginning when man was in his infancy on the evolutionary scale of development Man was alone, alone in the sense that he did not have all of the help and the knowledge that we have today that enables us to survive. You see, man then was subject to the cold, to the wild beasts of prey. He didn't have a home, didn't have air conditioning in the summer, didn't have heating in the winter, didn't have medical doctors if he became ill or injured was most likely to die. So it did not take ancient man very long to decide that in this world the single greatest enemy to be feared was the darkness of night and all the unknown dangers that came with it and simply stated man's first enemy was darkness. Now understanding this one fact alone one can readily see why the greatest and most trustworthy friend the human race could ever have at that time was by far heaven's greatest gift to the world that glorious rising orb of day that we call the sun and that was the beginning of the battle between light and darkness and it was man's first understanding of the birth the death and the rebirth of a deity for the sun rose was born in the morning traveled across the heavens where it reached its most powerful point the zenith and that will explain why so many things occur at noon or near noon and then signifying old age and the end of its life sank into the west and then died and man was subjected to the rigors and the dangers and the cold of night until his God again was reborn the next morning 
Now, folks, I'm not making any of this up, and it took me many, many years of study to figure this out. Man noticed that the moon also rose, lived a different life than the sun, and then sat and died and was reborn again. The sun, because of its brilliance, became the master or the greatest deity. And the moon took on the feminine aspect because the moon reflected the light of her master. And all of this will begin to make sense to you eventually as we go through this because from now on every program that I do is going to be devoted to this, to the explanation of the esoteric religion, the ancient mystery religion. And it's important that we all understand it because these are the people in charge. And don't ask me to tell you the truth of religion, for I really believe in the Constitution and that we all have a right to worship our own God in our own way. And no one has the right to tell anyone unless asked what they should believe. You all know by now that I am a Christian. But I'm not a Christian in the sense that I follow the dogma of any church or the preachings of any preacher or necessarily, word for word, the Bible. I stick strictly and only to those words that are directly attributed to Jesus Christ and I attempt to follow those words in my daily life. And it doesn't matter to me whether anyone proves that he never lived or that he lived or not. I have found that those are the most profound teachings amongst all of the books and teachings that I have ever heard or read in my entire life. And until someone can prove to me that there is something better, that is what I will always adhere to. I do not advise you what you should believe or not believe. But I do advise you that we all need to learn as much as we can about everything that we can because one thing I have learned in my life is that most of what we have ever been taught has been a lie. And that whoever these people are and I know who they are, and I will impart that knowledge to you, who are the priests, the adepts, and the initiates in the mystery schools. They are in control, and they are shaping the future, and that future will affect all of us, so we had better learn as much about them as we can. You cannot identify an enemy unless you know the enemy and you cannot fight a battle 
if you know nothing about the battle tactics of your opponent. And when you understand that Lucifer is the sun of the morning star, or the morning star itself, and the creations of the members of the mystery school begin to make much more sense. Good night, and God bless you all. You're listening to the Hour of the Time. I'm your host, William Cooper. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we begin the origin, the history, the dogma, and the identity of the ancient mystery religions which are now known as the mystery schools, the Order of the Quest, Freemasonry, the ancient Order of the Rose and Cross, the Knights Templar, the Sovereign and Military Order of the Knights of Malta, the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, the Priory de Sion, the Thule Society, are sometimes known as the Thule Society, the Order, the Skull and Bones, the Russell Trust, the Jason Society, the Scroll and Key, the Illuminati, and I could go on and on and on and on. But the most important thing to realize is that they all have been collectively known throughout the ages as the Mystery Schools, the Illuminati, which literally means Illumined Ones, International Socialism, Communism, they are all one and the same, as you will come to know. And you will understand perfectly how they've been able to infiltrate all of our society. What you hear tonight does not necessarily reflect my views, our beliefs, our religion, nor those of WWCR. But we have to begin in the beginning with every story and every history. And we have to begin at the beginning of mankind. And the beginning is the beginning according to the mystery religion. And they believe wholeheartedly that man is a product of evolution, not of an extraterrestrial race, and not of the creation of some benevolent god. They believe that the tree-dwelling ancestors of man were among the most intelligent beings of their distant age. And when these creatures finally abandoned the trees and walked fully upright, freeing their hands to serve as implements of their minds as well as their bodies, there began the most successful evolutionary drive toward higher intelligence ever witnessed in nature. As ground-dwellers, these creatures were easy victims of the great predators who hunted them down by day and surprised them at night as they huddled in clearings or in caves. They could not compete in strength, ferocity, or speed with their attackers. Armed with little except their hands and what their complex brains enabled them to do with those hands, they had to think or die. For untold thousands of years, most of them met early, violent deaths. Only a few in each generation had the good fortune and the ability to outwit their enemies. And these favored ones survived long enough to have and rear offspring. The unwary, maladroit, or stupid died early. And folks, I'm afraid that the stupid who live today are going to die early also. But back to the beginning.
Their offspring, if they had any, were left to starve or be eaten by predators. Natural selection was operating on the earliest types of man with grimmest intensity. Perhaps no other extent creature has undergone so severe and protracted a period of selective elimination. Yet, here and there, small groups managed to survive because they had the intelligence to use sticks, stones, and clubs to defend themselves. Crude and puny as these implements were, they were weapons, and their possessors were the first creatures who could kill without having to come in direct contact with their antagonist. As the great beasts grew larger and either faster or more formidable, man became ever more watchful, ever more successful in pitting his wits against mass and power, more and more adept at slipping out of trouble, and as the challenge grew greater, so did his brain. For the laggards on both sides got left behind in the race for the future. And we are still engaged in that race for the future. The steps in the development of man's brain are revealed by the progressively larger brain cases which appeared with the passage of centuries. Basing our judgment on the improvements in tools and weapons which took place as the intelligence of their inventors increased, we can construct some of the ways in which natural selection may have worked to bring about a doubling in size of the human brain. Many edible nuts are too hard for even a caveman to crack between his teeth. Accordingly, they were useless to early man until some genius of his day discovered that any nut could be opened if it were just placed upon one stone and struck hard with another. Better fed, the family of this innovator proliferated while the others died off. Perhaps centuries later, while a man sat cracking nuts between two stones, one stone broke, and the broken edge cut his hand. Previously, men in the same situation had thrown the broken stone away and nursed their cuts. But this man, this man, started thinking. He possessed an original thought. Since the edge had cut through his skin and drawn blood, it might also cut through the skin of the small animals he caught, making it easier to get at the meat. The first knife was invented. He and those close to him and those intelligent enough to imitate them increased in number and the rest died off. They had a cutting tool which made it possible for them to skin and eat meat in less time. So they had more time for hunting Many of the descendants of this exceptional man became increasingly skillful at breaking and chipping hard stones into sharper tools and weapons. And if you've been to a museum of natural history and you've seen these fine, beautiful flint arrowheads and spearheads, then you know that it took patience and great skill and this means a further development of the human mind. 
natural selection favoring better knife makers went on for hundreds of thousands of years according to those who guard the secrets of the ages and even according to modern science. A great many centuries later, a young father foraging for his brood may have come upon a long straight stick splintered at one end. Well, he pulled and chewed at the splinters until only one stout point was left, or at least that's how we can imagine that it was done. It seemed to him a very useful stick, for it was sharper than the digging sticks which the women used. He may have remembered a night during his boyhood when a great cat had charged his family's campsite and dragged away a younger sister. Now that he had small children of his own, the memory of that attack was ever present. Lately, he had seen fresh panther tracks. Another family not far away had been attacked and the mother had been killed. His dawning intelligence told him his pointed stick might be a better weapon against big cats than the clubs which he and the other men carried. So for many days he kept the long stick near him, even when he was laughed at for having what was regarded as a woman's tool. Not only did he possess a greater intellect than his fellow men, but he possessed more courage to resist their laughter. Then one night he heard a faint rustling. He whispered a quick warning to his family. Suddenly a dim shape charged at him in the darkness. Kneeling, he raised the point of his long stick toward the beast. It sprang, clawed at him savagely, then fled. The creature had struck the point so hard that the blunt end of the stick was shoved deep deep into the ground. Next morning, following a trail of blood, the man found a panther dead from a punctured chest. The long, sharp stick had saved his life and the lives of his family members. In the same situation, less perceptive men, armed only with clubs, would have been killed. From that time, he, his sons, and their sons carried impaling sticks whenever big predators were near. Foresight, genetically transmitted to their descendants, had given them a new weapon, which they used with devastating effect against their natural enemies. Perhaps many generations later, a bright descendant of the inventor of the impaling stick mated with the daughter of a man who had thought of throwing a club at fruits, nuts, and small animals on the lower branches of trees. Now and then, this brought down an extra meal. The man who knew how to defend his family from feline prowlers soon learned from his woman the new way to collect additional food and their young family thrived, and some of the children, with good mental inheritance from both sides of the family, showed an even higher order of intelligence than either of their parents. With impaling sticks added to their clubs and cutting stones, men no longer had to be such furtive food-gatherers. The hunted gradually evolved into hunters, 
and in times of famine when battles over food were fierce, those with impaling sticks threw them with deadly accuracy at members of other hunting bands. Sharper stone knives and spears gave a double survival advantage during times of crisis. But the most telling gains were the increasing sharpness of minds. However incomplete our knowledge of human ancestry, there is scarcely any doubt that the development of brain power of intelligence was the decisive force in the evolutionary process which culminated in the appearance of the species to which we belong. Natural selection, they believe, has brought about the evolutionary trends towards increasing brain power because brain power confers enormous adaptive advantages on its possessors. It is obviously brain power, not body power, which makes man by far the most successful biological species which living matter has produced. Even with man's new weapons and tools, it did not take him very long to decide that in this world the single greatest enemy to be feared was the darkness of night and all the unknown dangers that came with it. Simply stated, man's first enemy was darkness. Understanding this one fact alone, one can readily see why the greatest and most trustworthy friend the human race could ever have was, by far, heaven's greatest gift to the world, that glorious rising orb of day, the sun. And with this simple truth understood, we can now begin to unravel the most ancient and still the most successful religion upon the face of this earth. Its success lies in its ability to remain hidden from the rest of the people. But first let me assure you folks that no people of the ancient world believed the sun to be God. In point of fact, every ancient culture and nation on earth have all used the sun as the most logically appropriate symbol to represent the glory of the unseen creator of the heavens. In the Old Testament it says, quote, The heavens are declaring the glory of God, unquote. That's in Psalms 19, verse 1. In the Old Testament, quote, the sun of righteousness will arise, unquote. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. The ancient peoples reasoned that no one on earth could ever lay claim of ownership to the great orb of day. It must belong to the unseen creator of the universe. It became, figuratively speaking, not man's, but God's son. Truly, God's son was the light of the world. As I stated before, folks, in the dark cold of night, man realized his utter vulnerability to the elements. Each night, mankind was forced to wait for the rising of the sun to chase away the physical and mental insecurity brought on by the darkness. Therefore, the morning sun 
focused man's attention on heavenly dependence for his frail short existence on earth and in doing so it became the appropriate symbol of divine benevolence from heaven for without the sun there was no light there was no warmth and nothing could grow or live upon the face of this earth so just as a small fire brought limited light into man's own little world of darkness likewise the great fire of day served the whole earth with its heavenly presence for this reason it was said that the God of the Bible was a consuming fire in heaven and so he was it was accepted by all that man was bound to a life on earth but the sky was the abode of God's son he resided up there in heaven ancient man saw in his male offspring his own image and likeness and his own existence as a father was proved by the person of his son it was assumed that God's son was but a visible representative of the unseen creator in heaven so it was said quote, when you have seen the son you have seen the father unquote. said another way quote, the father is glorified in his son unquote. Ancient man, even with his limited intelligence at that time, had no problem understanding that all life on earth depended directly on life-giving energy from the sun. Consequently, all life was lost without the sun. It followed that God's son was nothing less than man's savior. Since energy from the sun gave life, and we sustained our very existence by taking energy in from our food which came directly from God's Son the Son must give up its life supporting energy so that we may continue to live God's Son must give his life for us to live now I know that if you are intelligent out there listening you are making some connections here you see, the mystery schools believe that Christianity is a perversion of the mysteries. While it was plainly true that our life came from and was sustained each day by our Savior, God's Son, it was and would be true only as long as the Son would return each morning. And our hope of salvation would be secure only in a risen Savior. For if he did not rise from his grave of darkness, all would be lost. All the world waited for his imminent return each morning. The Father would never leave us at the mercy of this world of darkness. The heavenly promise was surely that, quote, he would come again, unquote, to light our path and save those lost in the darkness. Logically, even if man himself died, as long as the sun comes up each day, life on earth will continue forever. Therefore, it was said in the ancient texts that everlasting life was the gift that the Father gives through his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that we may have life everlasting on earth. And the ancient text did not mean for you personally but on earth everlasting life that is the interpretation of the mystery schools 
Since evil and harm lurked at every turn in the fearful dark of night, all evil or harmful deeds were naturally the works of darkness. And with the return of the sun each morning, man felt more secure in his world and therefore was at peace. Therefore, God's Son was, with his warm rays of hope, the great, quote, Prince of Peace, unquote. And, of course, the reverse was equally true. The evil of night was ruled over by none other than, quote, the Prince of Darkness, unquote. Hence, evil is of the dark, or the devil. It was only a short step to see that the light of God's Son equated with righteousness and truth, and evil with darkness. From then on, it was simple to understand. Light was good, dark was bad, and the priests of the ancient mystery religion always followed the light. They always looked toward the east. They considered themselves to be illumined. That being true, then the great orb of day, God's Son, could rightly say of itself that, quote, I am the light and the truth, unquote. We should all, in their words, not mine, Give thanks to the Father for sending us His Son, spelled S-U-N, in case some of you were getting confused. In every instance where I have mentioned the word Son, it has been in reference to the Son, S-U-N. For the peace and tranquility He brings to our life is even called Solus. Solus is from the word solar, which means Son, are you beginning to see the light? <laughs> we now have before us two cosmic brothers, one very good and one very bad. One brings the truth to light with the light of truth. The other is the opposite or in opposition to the light, the opposer, the prince of the world of darkness. It is at this point we come to Egypt. More than 3,000 years before Christianity began, the early morning sun Savior was pictured in Egypt as the newborn babe. The infant Savior's name was Horus. The early morning sun or newborn babe was pictured in two ways. The dove, known as the bringer of peace. The hawk the god of war who punishes the enemies of God. Today, in government, we still use these terms, doves and hawks. And that's how powerful this hidden religion is, is that we use the terms of this religion even today and know it not. At daybreak, this wonderful newborn child is, of course, born again. Hallelujah. Horus is risen. That is what hallelujah means. Even today, when the sun comes up, we see it on the Horus Risen, or Horizon. His life was also divided into twelve parts, or twelve Horus Hours, the twelve signs of the Zodiac. But now, what about the evil brother, 
of God's Son, that old prince of darkness himself. In the Egyptian belief system, he was called Set, or sometimes Typhon. We are told in the Bible that when God's Son died, the world was left in the hands of the prince of darkness at sunset. Sunset. Do you understand? God's Son was killed by the Prince of Darkness set at sunset. It was generally observed that God's Son could be depended upon to return in the same manner that he left, namely, on a cloud, and every eye will see him, unless, of course, you're blind or dead. Keeping in mind that God's Son not only represented the light of truth, but was put to death by his enemies who could not endure the light of truth in their life, it was taught by the ancients that the very act of opposing or denying the light of truth to the point of killing it happened in one's own mind. When we are confronted with harsh realities of life, the truth, the light of truth, which we do not wish to face and which runs counter to our views, such truth is put to death by your mind and in your head. Therefore, God's Son, the truth and the light, is put to death at the place of the skull or skull place, located somewhere between your ears. This putting to death of the light of hope in your mind is always accompanied by the two thieves, regret for the past and fear of the future. Don't go away, folks. We have to take a short break. I'll be back right after this pause. And, of course, God's Son goes to his death wearing a corona, which in Latin means crown of thorns. Remember the Statue of Liberty? It was given to us by Masonic France. To this day, kings still wear a round crown of thorns symbolizing the rays of the sun. Now, as far back as we can go into the ancient world in our research, we find that all known cultures had a three-in-one or triune God. The very first trinity was simply the three stages of life of the sun. Newborn at dawn, mature or full-grown in its full power at twelve noon, and old and dying at the end of day, going back to the Father. All three were, of course, one divinity. The Trinity is no mystery in the mystery schools. The Egyptians knew that the sun was at its highest point in the sky, or high noon, when no shadow was cast by the pyramid. At that point, all Egypt offered prayers to the Most High God. As stated before, to the ancients, the sky was the abode or heavenly temple of the Most High. Therefore, God's Son was doing His Heavenly Father's work in the temple at noon. The world of ancient man kept track of times and seasons by the movement of the sun, daily, monthly, and yearly. For this, the sundial was devised. Not only the daily movement of the sun was tracked on the round dial, but the whole year was charted on a round calendar dial. Examples are ancient Mexican, Mayan, Inca, Aztec, Sumerian, Babylonian, Assyrian, Egyptian, Celtic, 
or Celtic as some pronounce it, Aryan, etc. And with this method, certain new concepts emerged in the mind of ancient man. Since the earth experienced four different seasons, all the same and equal in time each year, the round calendar was divided into four equal parts. This represented the complete story of the life of God's Son. This is also why we have in the Bible only four Gospels. Of this point there can be no doubt, for Tertullian and many early church fathers stated this exact fact themselves in their own writings. And this, the mystery school claims, is why the famous painting of the Last Supper pictures the twelve followers or houses of the sun in four groups of three, the seasons, with the sun in the center alone. On the round surface of the yearly calendar, you draw a straight line directly across the middle, cutting the circle in half, one end being the point of the winter solstice, the other end being the point of the summer solstice. Then draw another straight line crossing the first one, one end of the new line being the spring equinox, the other end being the autumn equinox. You now have the starting points for each of the four seasons. This is referred to by all major encyclopedias and reference works, both ancient and modern, as the cross of the zodiac. Thus the life of God's Son is on the cross. This is why we see the round circle of the sun on the crosses of Christian churches. The next time you pass a Christian church, look for the circle, sun, on the cross. On December the 22nd, the sun going south reaches its lowest point in the sky, our winter solstice. At that lowest point, the sun stops moving on the sundial for three days, December 22nd, December 23rd, and December 24th, in the southern constellation known as the Southern Cross. Hence our Savior, dead for three days, died on the cross. The Southern Cross constellation, that is. This is the only time in the year, folks, that the sun actually stops its movements in our sky, according to the mystery schools. On the morning of December the 25th, the sun begins its annual journey back to us in the northern hemisphere, bringing, of course, our spring. Therefore, on December 25th, the sun is born again. And to this day, his worshippers still celebrate his birthday. It is at this point that we should look at the significance of the recurring number 12 in the Bible. First, 13 is said to be unlucky for humans. It is a heavenly number and represents the Son plus the 12 equals 13, or Christ plus the 12 disciples equals 13. It's unlucky for a different reason, folks. And I will explain that on another program, but it has to do with the persecution of the mystery school, the mystery religion. It would be well to get a Bible concordance and look to see how many times the number 12 is used in the entire Bible. Remember, the mystery religion is a religion of the heavens. 
Also in the Bible you will find many combinations of the number seven in the mystery religion that represents the seven stars of the Pleiades. And you can see the emergence of the mystery religion in the UFO movement when the Pleiadians come to talk to Billy Meyer in Switzerland. <laughs> oh my, how we are deceived by these people. Here are a few examples of the use of the number 12 in the Bible. The 12 months of the year, the 12 apostles of the sun, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 brothers of Joseph, the 12 judges of Israel, the 12 great patriarchs, the 12 Old Testament prophets, the 12 kings of Israel, the 12 princes of Israel, God's son and temple at 12, and there are many more. All these examples, and countless more, derived directly from the ancient world's fascination with the twelve signs of the zodiac. Now remember, folks, what I'm giving you is the teachings of the Mystery School, and this does not necessarily reflect any of my own beliefs or my own religious beliefs or those of WWCR. We cannot fight against these manipulators unless we know who they are and what they believe. And what you want to believe is your own business. As we noted before, folks, the year was divided into twelve equal parts, or months, and to each month was appointed a heavenly symbol or astrological sign. Three of these signs made up one season in the world or the heavens was divided into four separate seasons. Each of the twelve monthly signs were called Houses of the Heavenly Zodiac. The astronomers of Babylon divided the sky into twelve houses. They did this to account for the fact that the planets were not always exactly in the ecliptic, but appeared to wander a certain number of degrees either side of it. They therefore had to assume that each sign of the zodiac extended its influence through a fixed portion of the sky which they thought of as a house to which a planet could return when it completed one of its journeys about the sun the great god of the day had its house in Leo Leo the lion of Judah where he ruled at the head of his splendor the moon ruled in Cancer at the right hand of the Sun. The other planets were given two houses, one for day and one for night. And since the zodiac divided the sky into twelve equal portions, each of these houses was also equal, comprising thirty degrees, or one-twelfth of the three hundred and sixty degree circle. And the houses and signs of the zodiac were as follows. Aries was the ram, or lamb of God. Taurus, the bull, the golden calf. Gemini, the twins, which represented Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, or Jesus and Satan, for in mystery Babylon, Jesus and Satan are brothers, and in some sects of the mystery religion, they are the same entity. Cancer, the crab. Leo, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That can be found in Revelations 5 verse 5 Virgo the virgin spring birth of God's son or Mary Mary 
or Marie means pure, thus Mary, the virgin, the mother of God, when God is reborn or born in the spring. And that is where the mother holding the child, Isis with the child, Horus, and all through the history of the world, you will find a virgin holding a child in every culture, every language, in every continent of this earth. Libra, the scales. Scorpio, the scorpion, the backbiting traitor, Judas. Sagittarius, the archer. Capricorn, the sea goat, or the goat of Mendes. Aquarius, man with the water pitcher. Pisces, the two fish. The age that we are leaving at this point in time is the age of Pisces. And, according to the mystery religion, we are entering into the age of Aquarius very soon in our future. And to them this has great meaning, for it means the dawn of the new age, the age of the illumined man. The number of the man is 666 in the mystery religion. Today, we have expressions when someone dies. We say things like, they passed, or they passed on, or they passed away. The ancients said, they passed over from one life to another. Over what? Over the river. And so it was with the coming of spring. As God's Son is resurrected from the death of winter to his new life in spring, this is why Christians celebrate the resurrection with a sunrise service at Easter. And the Jews, who knew this ancient religion from their time in captivity in Babylon, celebrate the same with their Passover. With this knowledge, we now add the fact that the first decan of the astrological sign of Virgo is Coma, or the desired one of the nations. This was pictured by the ancient astrologers as a virgin girl holding a newborn babe. Hence our Madonna and child motif, so in the spring our Virgo, God's son, is born of a virgin. Incidentally, the astrological symbol for Virgo is the letter M, or Marie, which means pure, hence Mary, the pure virgin. And all through every culture you will find other representations by other names of the virgin mother with the child, Isis with the child, Horus, born of a magical intercourse when Isis changes into a bird and flutters over the dead, Osiris. Osiris representing the sun, Isis representing the moon. I will tell you the meaning of the child Horus other than the sun in the morning, probably on another episode of the Hour of the Time. Now, <clears throat> we belong to one another. According to the Mystery School, we are part of God's creation. We are part of a great fraternity of man, according to them. We are creation's voice to sing praise to God as we gather in the morning. <laughs> the morning, folks, to pray. The very time of day recalls our creation and our new creation in Christ. During the gathering time, reflect on this mystery. Using the silence, the sounds of morning, the psalms and other scriptures, be aware that the rising sun is the image of Christ, our sun and source of life, and that is taken right out of a Protestant church's 
leaflet calling for the congregation together for the Easter sunrise service. Next we read at 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 that God's son is the chief shepherd. This word chief is very important for at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6 and again at Epithians chapter 2 verse 20 God's son is called the chief cornerstone. Now, in our research into the mystery schools, we find that the word in Greek for chief cornerstone simply meant the peak of a pyramid. The peak of a pyramid. The corner foundation stone or peak of the pyramid. The prefix acro, or topmost, was added by the Jews to the already existing Greek adjective goniaios, or at the corner. In that way, the translators of Isaiah rendered the Hebrew word for corner, Pinya Isai, 28.16, describing the stone which was a sure foundation and which probably had reference to the future Messiah. Well understood by the Christian writers was that of an important stone which was both acro, a peak, and a goniaios, a cornerstone, but there are four or more corners to a building, and a stone at a corner cannot be uniquely significant. Although you will find in Freemasonry the ceremony of laying a cornerstone for every building that is built, and you look at all the buildings in Washington, D.C., you will see a cornerstone with the Masonic symbols and Masonic date of the mystery schools of the calendar of 6,000 years. Well, we found that we don't believe that it can be significant unless the stone be at the apex, apex of a pyramid where all corners meet and bond together, and that is the secret of the truncated pyramid missing the capstone on the reverse of the great seal of the United States. For we have found in our research that in the mystery religion, the Master Mason is the cornerstone or the peak of the pyramid, the illumined man, who functions as the eye of Horus or the spy for the mystery schools wherever he is at. Just as the Great Pyramid near Mexico City is called the Pyramid of the Sun, so also the Great Pyramid of Egypt was actually dedicated to Horus, the sun. A picture of this you may see on the back of any one dollar bill. Above the pyramid, folks, is the eye, the sun, the eye of Horus, the son of God. The New Testament tells us three different times that God's son was taught by and learned all things from the Father. He was the pupil. We are told at Matthew chapter 14, verse 17 and 19, that God's Son tends to his people's needs with two fishes. The two fishes being the astrological sign all astrologers know as Pisces. Thus we have had for almost 2,000 years God's Son ruling in his kingdom or sign of Pisces, the two fishes. As stated before, these signs are called houses. Therefore, Pisces is the Lord's house at this time. Truly, the greatest fish story ever told. According to astrology, sometime after the year 2010, 
Catch that date, folks, the year 2010. And remember what I told you about 2001. Arthur C. Clarke is obviously a member of the Mystery Schools. And Stanley Kubrick, who's responsible for making the movie, is obviously a member also. According to astrology, sometime after the year 2010, the sun will enter into his new sign, or his new kingdom. As it was called by the ancients, this next coming sign, or kingdom, soon to be upon us, will be, according to the zodiac, the house or sign of Aquarius. So when we read at Luke chapter 22 verse 10 we now understand why God's son states that he and his followers at the last Passover are to go into the house of the man with the water pitcher so we see that in the coming millennium God's son will bring us into his new kingdom our house of Aquarius the man with the water pitcher once we realize that in astrology each month is assigned one of the so-called houses of the zodiac and in heaven are twelve houses are twelve monthly signs then the words we read of God's son saying quote in my father's house are many mansions unquote makes sense when translated correctly the proper translation is as follows father's house equals heavenly abode mansions equal houses so correctly read in the original text we read, In my Father's heavenly abode are many houses. Yes, twelve to be exact according to the mystery religion of ancient Babylon. By careful intention and study of the houses you will be better enabled to interpret horoscopes. It is well to remember that just as the influence of one planet in one sign may be effected for good or ill by another planet in another sign, so the influence of planets in signs in general may be strengthened, weakened, enhanced, afflicted, or otherwise altered by the influence of planets in houses, according to their beliefs. A rule of thumb to remember is that signs measure your inherent qualities. The planets influence those qualities, and the houses indicate directions for them. In other words, the houses indicate certain things, and a planet in a house influences or activates the things indicated. Now this is all according to their religion. If you want more explanation, please ask Nancy Reagan. Anyone familiar with modern-day Christianity must surely know we are said to be living in the last days. This teaching is in part based on the idea expressed in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 of the King James Bible, where God's Son says, quote, I will be with you even to the end of the world, unquote. End of the world? Yet another simple mistranslation to clarify and there are many in the Bible with a proper understanding of the actual words used this end of the world is translated differently in various Bibles some say end of time some say end of the days and still others say conclusion of this system of things so what does all this talk of the end times or last days really mean well, here's the simple answer, folks. According to the mystery schools, when the scriptures speak of, quote, the end of the world, unquote, the actual word used is not, I repeat, not, end of the world. The actual word in Greek is 
aeon, which when correctly translated means age. That's spelled, folks, A-G-E. Any library will have Bible concordances. Strong's Bible concordance is a good reference work to use here. Look up the word age in any secular dictionary or Bible concordance. There you will find the word for age is from the Greek aeon, or A-E-O-N. Remembering that in astrology, each of the twelve houses or signs of the zodiac corresponds to a 2,000-year period of time called an age. We now know we are 1,992 years into the house or age of Pisces. Now correctly understood, it can rightly be said that we today, in fact, are living in the last days. Yes, according to the mystery schools, we are in the last days of the old age of Pisces. Soon, God's Son will come again into his new kingdom, our new age, and that's where all this new age movement and new age comes from, new age of Aquarius, man with the water pitcher. Luke chapter 22, verse 10. That's right, folks, the new aeon, or the new age. This, according to the mystery schools is the perversion of Christianity. This is the theme of the Bible, God's Son and His coming kingdom age, the new age of Aquarius. Now, what you choose to believe is your business. Remember, don't get mad at me. I am teaching you the mystery religion of ancient Babylon. And I am telling you right now, many people practice this mystery religion in secret, and they hate Christians. They hate Christians because they believe that Christianity is a perversion of their religion and thus is their enemy. When viewing the shimmering rays of sunlight on a body of water at dawn or sunset, according to the mystery schools, one can still see today how God's Son walks on water. Good night and God bless you all. Oh, the strange day of the